Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. That's good stuff. Thanks. Just making sure we has everyone's attention. A little bit today about overlooked promises, and we're thinking about it from the book of Zephaniah, which is really interesting because the book of Zephaniah, most of us don't get through because it's so depressing at the beginning. In fact, it's apocalyptic literature. That just means it's got a lot of imagery that's about destruction and anger and wrath and all that stuff. And so very seldom are we patient when we sit in space with Scripture to understand the scope of apocalyptic literature, which, by the way, probably the most popular piece of apocalyptic literature in the Scripture is the book of Revelation. Apocalyptic literature, it's written in a very specific style, in a very specific way. And you might have fantastic beasts that come along in apocalyptic literature because it's a part of the nature of the writing. And Zephaniah writes for us a a, a little bit of an apocalyptic. And as I was thinking about this sermon, thinking about how it fits together, there's this sense of it that I think it matters significantly that you and I grasp what we're going to talk about today. Not just the fact that there are promises and we want to celebrate that, and, and that's important and vital and that matters, but the context in which it is spoken, because it's very significant. And I, I suppose we could sum it up like this. When it comes to the biblical narrative and its understanding of life, you ready? Even the bad news is encased in good news. And the sooner we understand this biblical piece, the happier we will be in our journey and in our life. And it's very fundamental to Scripture. Even the bad news is encased in good news. So, for example, when we talk about the death of Jesus Christ, this bad news is encased in good news. So that the scriptural writers want us to understand that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not life, not death, not things present, not things to come, not powers, not principalities. But in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And you and I, we live in a culture and a world that that feasts on bad news. Remember a long time ago... (laughs) When yellow journalism was the national inquirer waiting on you at the checkout at the grocery store, older people helped the younger people. <laughs> and that was your source of all of this yucky information. Remember? You'd look at that. If your mom caught you looking at it, she'd be like, hey, 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 hey. Avert your eyes. You, that's not a headline you need to read. Amen? It ain't on the National Enquirer at the checkout stand anymore. (laughs) It's everywhere. This yellow journalism, this bad news, this maybe we shouldn't talk about this in polite company kind of stuff. It's everywhere. Well, we're finally not hiding anymore. We're telling the truth. Are we, though? Are we, though? Were they then really... Even the bad news is encased 
in good news in the biblical narrative, in the biblical story. So that as David writes in the 139th Psalm, if I were to flee to the far side of the world, if I were to encase myself in darkness, even there, the darkness would become light to you because darkness is light to you. That even the bad news becomes good news when it's in case. Andrew Gibbons was a writer, and he wrote the, probably, arguably, the most exhaustive, if not the most authoritative, at least the most exhaustive story of the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. Six volumes, 4,000 pages. And it might interest you to know that Gibbons was somewhat a cynic, not only of the Roman Empire, but of humanity in general. He believed that human history was just a collection of the crimes and follies and foolishness of human beings. Isn't that a wonderful way to look at the past? It's just a collection of the crimes and follies and foolishness of human beings. Gives you a warm fuzzy right in your heart, doesn't it? I mean, I suppose at some level we could talk about it in that way. What I think is fascinating about Gibbons' work is that it was written from 1776 to 1789. About the time this country was sort of getting going, he was writing an exhaustive work on the, the fall of the Roman Empire, on the demise of the Roman Empire. I just think sometimes, as a culture, we tend to think that we're all that. Amen? And that the fate of the world is hanging in the balance with what happens in our politics and in our culture and in our world over here in North America. <laughs> By the way, we did mission work for a long time in South America, and uh, we would have a tendency along the way to say Americans. Well, Americans say this, and the South Americans would say, uh, excuse me, it's the Norte Americanos. <laughs> We're Americans down here, too. We're just South Americans, <laughs> you arrogant northern. <laughs> but we think that, don't we? We're so egocentric. <laughs> oh, we're Americans. I'm pretty sure this North America. You know, Canadians are Americans. Did you know that? That'll end up being the most controversial thing I said today. <laughs> So, sometimes we just think that what's happening to us is the most significant thing that could ever happen. Josiah lived about 640 B.C. When you think about dear old Josiah, you need to know several things about him that matters significantly. Josiah was uh, made king at the age of eight. His father, Ammon, was assassinated, and so he became the king of the southern kingdom at the age of eight. You're not figuring he's going to be doing a whole lot of stuff at the age of eight. However, one of the unique things about Josiah is by the age of 18, just 10 years later, he launches the first reforms in Israel. He somehow feels this deep conviction that, that the country has gotten off track. And he starts in the temple. He initiates a, a, a reformation of the temple, a restoration, a remodel. And so he talks to Hilkiah, who's the head of the priests, and he says to him, I want you to take the revenue that has been coming into the coffers of 
Judah, the southern kingdom, and into the coffers of the temple. And I want you to use that to actually remodel and renovate and bring up to date and restore the temple. It's fallen into terrible disrepair. Over the years, all kinds of pluralism had taken place. There's a lot of pagan worship going on. Even in the temple courts proper, they had uh, erected you know, altars to other gods. And so along comes Josiah, and he says, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna actually do something about this. At the age of 18... And so he initiates this great building program. And so we're told that as he begins to remodel the temple, Hilkiah is walking through the temple one day and he looks down and into a wall that has caved in, he notices a scroll and he takes the scroll from inside the wall and he opens it. And he realizes immediately that he has something very significant in his hands. And so he goes through a process. I won't bore you with all the details of what he does. He goes to this person, and they say, and then he goes to this prophetess, and she says, and da da He takes it to Josiah, and he says, Josiah, this is very important. And they begin then to read. And it turns out that what he holds in his hand is probably the Pentateuch. It's probably the first five books of the Bible, all the Levitical law. In fact, what they say is, what well, we have discovered the book of the law. And so that it is read now to this young king, and his heart is broken. When he reads the details of what God has done, the story of Genesis, and the story of Exodus, and the story of the giving of the law, and the story of the Levitical control, when he hears it all, we're told that he weeps openly and he tears his clothes in remorse and repentance. And now he initiates a a broad kind of reform in the whole southern kingdom. And he instructs the leaders. He brings the elders together. And together they read through the entire content of the scroll that Hilkiah has found in the temple. And they all feel the conviction. And he commissions them to go throughout the southern kingdom and to tear down all of the altars to Baal, to tear down all the altars to pagan gods, to restore temple worship. He reinstitutes the proper observation of Passover. It hasn't been celebrated appropriately in decades. And all of this stuff is going on. And so at this time, Zephaniah is writing. He's doing his apocalyptic, prophetic work. Josiah, later in his life, he he decides, and we mentioned this last week, he decides that he wants to go and confront the king of Egypt. The king of Egypt is marching north up through Israel to Megiddo and And he's making his way towards Haran. He's going to join the remnants of the Assyrian army. And together, the the Nico II and the Egyptian army and the Assyrian army, they're going to gather together and they're going to go fight the Babylonians. And they're going to fight them at Haran. And the battle is known as the Battle of Carchemish. And that's going to take place a little later. But on his way, Josiah gets it in his head that he's going to go confront the king of Egypt. Even though he's been allies with Egypt, and even though he really doesn't want Babylon to have power, he decides he'll go and fight Necho. And God sends a message to Josiah and says, Don't do it. It won't go well. Don't do it. But he does it anyway. And Josiah is killed at the battle at Megiddo, and his reign ends. Zephaniah is working He's a working prophet in these days. So if you think about Genesis 1 as a story in which the chaos is brought into order by God, Zephaniah has this in his mind when he opens in chapter 1. 
And, and instead, he reverses the story. Now we have God's order that's descending into chaos. And here's why. <laughs> Human beings. Human beings tend to take God's order and create chaos. That's why systems like humanism are so hard to kind of get on board with. Because if you buy into Gibbons' understanding that history is just a collection of the crimes and follies and foolishness of human beings, then it's hard to say we're going to look inwardly into this. I don't know. Would you trust yourself to run the world? I mean, if given the power, I mean, I know sometimes we say, hey, I, I, I could do better than that. But, but could we? I mean... It's a tough, tough thing to think about. And so there is this sense in which this, this process is taking place. And, and, and Zephaniah has this understanding. He has this understanding that kingdoms rise and fall, and kingdoms rise and fall, and the northern kingdom has risen and fallen, and the southern kingdom has risen and fallen, and there's been good times and bad times, and the nation of Israel, it's risen and fallen. There's been this ebb and flow, and it's gone on and on and on and on. And Zephaniah wants to talk about that. But he also wants us to know this. In the midst of all the rising and the falling, there is one kingdom that only rises. And that is the kingdom of God. And Zephaniah begins to speak in this way. And he begins to have this understanding. And wouldn't it do good for you and me if we sort of understood this? Kingdoms rise and fall. Politicians rise and fall. Cultural movements rise and fall. Philosophies rise and fall. Nations rise and fall. There's just one kingdom that only rises. And that's the kingdom of God. And it just rises. It starts in a garden and it ends in a city and it's a redemptive story. And even when there's bad news, it's encased in good news. Because all of human history, it just becomes this one reality. God weaving together the story of ultimate redemption through all of the brokenness of humanity. It's still God. We, in all things, He works for our good. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. Therefore, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, because what is seen is temporary, and we know it. But on what is unseen, because what is unseen is eternal. That's Zephaniah's message. What am I talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. Kingdoms are rising. Kingdoms are falling. Probably going to have a lot more of them fall before. But in the midst of the bad news, there's good news. And I don't know about you, but I could use a little good news. I could use a mantra in my own heart, soul, mind, spirit to just speak. I would like to speak back to the television. <laughs> Wouldn't it be fun this week if some of you were at the checkout line at the grocery store and you saw a headline on one of those periodicals and you just said, no! I mean, I'll visit you in jail or wherever you end up. Somehow something in our spirit that fights back and speaks up. And says, you can talk about the demise of humanity all you want, but that bad news is encased in good news. Because that's the message of this biblical story. That's the message of what begins to unfold. If you just summarized it all, here's what the book of Zephaniah is about. God has a passion to rescue the world from human evil and violence in order to create a world where everyone can flourish in safety and peace. 
I stole that. Isn't it good? I'll read it again. God has a passion. This is the theme of Zephaniah. God has a passion to rescue the world from human evil and violence in order to create a world where everyone can flourish in safety and peace. I stole it from the Bible Project. How many of you know about the Bible Project? Okay, more of you should. Google it today. Go on it. Look at it. Look at the videos. They're outstanding. You will become way more biblically literate in about eight minutes per little video. So have fun with that. So he opens with this understanding that God is working to bring order out of the disorder, though human beings are bringing disorder out of the order. And God is aware, says Zephaniah. God's aware. I don't know how many of you think like this, but sometimes I think I'm the only one that gets it. Everybody okay? All right. Sometimes I think I'm the only one that gets it. Like, this happens in different settings, you know, where I'm like, should I say something? Because I'm sure I'm the only one that's seeing it. I'm the only one. This happens with my kids a lot. I should probably tell them. I should probably give them the benefit of my long life and deep wisdom. Because I'm probably seeing things they're not seeing. And they would appreciate it if I pointed out. Can I get an amen? amen? And then it turns out I don't really know as much as I think I know. And that's Stephanie's message. You think you're the only one who gets it. Guess what? God gets it. If we just said that much to ourselves, moment by moment, day by day. <laughs> you know, I can't believe a cigar. Yeah, God, God gets that. He gets that. I can't believe the injustice. God gets that. In fact, I, it's so fascinating to me as a minister when people come to me and they go, you know, I don't understand. Would you please become the apologist for everything God is doing or not doing in the world? Can you explain what God is doing and what he is not doing and why? Uh, no, it turns out I can't. <laughs> Shockingly. Well, that's why I don't believe in God. Really? Interesting. So you'd rather re believe in humanity because there's so many shining examples of how <laughs> that's working out so well, you know. I mean, isn't that the logic of our culture? Well, it's all in here. You've got to look right in here. It's, it's all about being, you look in here for human wisdom. That's why I'm a humanist, because it's all in here. Is it? Is it really? I came off the freeway yesterday after getting gas. I'm already in a bad mood. <laughs> Stoplight at Ocean View and Mont Montrose Avenue. Stuck on red going south on Ocean View. Stuck on green going east to west on Montrose Avenue. This befuddled humanity. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, there was anger, rioting, honking of horns. The police were involved. I'm not making this up. It was a stuck red light. And you would have thought that we had some major crisis because of the geniuses who were sitting around. And that's it. If you were there, God bless you. God sees. Zephaniah says, I know you look at the chaos. I know you look at what's going on. I know you look at how everything, I know you look at the injustice. I know you look that Josiah got killed. I know that you look at all of it. Just, I just want you to hear me. God sees it. And he grieves over the dysfunction of humanity. He grieves over it. 
It hurts his heart. It's not what he desires. It's not what he sees. And then he says, but, but hang on. There's a remnant, Zephaniah 2.1. Gather together, gather yourselves together, you shameful nation, before the decrees take effect. Remember, I say he's an apocalyptic writer. That's why nobody ever gets to the promises at the end of the book, because of this stuff. The decrees take effect, and that day passes like windblown chaff before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the, Lord, the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps he will shelter, you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. He says, listen, I, 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 I see what's going on, and I know you may think that what you're doing and how you believe and what's happening in your individual story doesn't matter, but it does. Stay faithful. Keep going. Don't quit. Don't stop. There is a place for the remnant to continue to do what the remnant needs to do, no matter what the chaos of the culture. Amen? And we ought to do that. We ought to do that. And then he says, oh, by the way, I also have my eye on all the nations. This is so important. Zephaniah says, listen, I could talk all day about the southern kingdom because this is my primary place of prophetic work. And God's going to come and he's going to do some things. He sees what's going on. And Babylon's going to be an instrument that he's going to use. And you may like that or you may not like that. But just so you know, God also sees the Ammonites. He sees the Jebusites. He sees all the sites. He sees all of them. <laughs> And God's working in all of those. And here's how he's treating. I know you're worried about these people and those people and that people and this thing and those politics and that policy. And all. I just want you to, Zephaniah says, I just want you to know this. God sees all of them too. And he treats them like children. And you should too. He treats them like his children. And you should Two, Zephaniah 3, 8. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day I will stand up to testify, I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them, all of my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. Anybody ready for some promises yet? <laughs> Listen to this, Zephaniah 3, 9. Then... I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. In other words, he says, I'm going to send this fierce anger and this fire, but the fire that you think is about consuming and destroying, it's about purifying. I'm going to purify some things. I'm going to clean up some stuff. Not just over here in Israel and not just in the southern kingdom of Judah, but over with among the Ammonites and over among the Jebusites and about Babylon and about Assyria and about Egypt. I got my eye on all of humanity. And oh, by the way, I'm seeking justice and mercy everywhere. And I want a world in which everyone lives in peace and safety. That's what I'm after. A place where this kingdom only rises. The kingdom where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And Zephaniah has this profound perspective as he speaks these words. Finally, he begins to remind of God's ultimate intent, Zephaniah 3.14. Sing, daughter of Zion, shout out loud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. The Lord, the king of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion, do not 
let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and a reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they've suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. I think when you begin to break down Zephaniah, there are five promises that you and I might want to recite day after day and week after week. Number one, he sees the disorder. He sees the disorder and he grieves over it. Do you believe that? I, I don't know how much internal sort of anxiety and angst the average person in this room feels or those joining us online. It seems to me that that depends on your personality. Some of us don't really think about the mass of humanity or where the world is headed, but I do believe this. Lately, it's been much harder to live sort of in an isolated way and not worry so much about what's happening around us. Amen? It's been a lot harder to just say, I'm just going to mind my own business and do my own thing. There's a lot of messages that get in. And one of the subtexts of our culture is God doesn't get it, God doesn't see it, I'm not even, in fact, the world is so messed up, I'm not even sure God exists anymore. And Zephaniah says, you know what, you're not the first culture on the planet that ever thought that, you're not the first group of folks that ever saw the rising and falling of kingdoms, you're not the first folks that ever thought your local spot was the be-all to end-all and that maybe God's whole plan was going to be channeled right through here. Even O Israel forgot sometimes walk before me and be blameless and you'll be my people and I'll be your God and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed they even forgot from time to time and they started to think they were the only nation that mattered in the grand scope of things and Zephaniah comes along and says you know what you're not God actually is working in a whole bunch of stories at a whole bunch of times. Do you speak it out loud? God sees this. If it grieves me, it grieves God. If I see the injustice, God sees the injustice. If I see the corruption, God sees the corruption. And I'm betting I don't see clearly. I just see what I see. That's going to be the next piece. <laughs> That's the next promise. Okay, it's two away. Do you believe that? Sometimes we need to say that. You need to say it right to the TV. God sees that. I hear what you're saying, but God sees that. I hear how you're spinning that, but God sees that. <laughs> oh, you think you, think you uh, just so you know, God sees that. God sees that. God sees that. Number two, he has a passion to rescue the world from evil and violence. My God has a passion to rescue the world from evil and violence. He's mending together the kingdom of God so that God's will is done on earth. There's a trajectory to the story 
kingdoms rise and fall, and they rise and fall, and they rise and fall. But one kingdom continues to rise. And whatever the circumstances of humanity, God weaves together those circumstances into the trajectory of a divine destiny. Amen? Boy, the energy in this room is tough. I'm working hard. The biblical story, the trajectory of this narrative is about God fulfilling His purposes in humanity. That 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 began in a garden ends in a redeemed city, a new city, a new earth, a, a new way of thinking where there's no more sorrow, there's no more death, there's no more parting, there's no more injustice, there's no more effect, where people stand tribe to tribe, shoulder to shoulder, all the races gathered together in praise and honor of God. Have you read the story? That's where we're going. Woo! <laughs> That's a better story. It's better. Better, it's better, it's better. And we need to remind ourselves God sees it and He is in the business of taking away evil and violence and restoring health and wholeness and order. Number three, we are not helpless. I said we'd get here. I don't know how you feel in the face of what's happening in our culture and in our world, but most of us feel like. What does it matter what I do today? God and I have this little joke. I've told you about it before, but we have this little joke. He plays it on me frequently. Because I don't know if you know this, but I'm a, I'm a rather anxious person. How many of you knew that? Okay, a few of you that know me better. I'm a rather anxious person. So, like sermons, they cause me anxiety. Yeah, so like I like write early and then I read a lot over the weekend. I'm like, ugh, this is a terrible sermon. Many of you are like, yes, it is. <laughs> this week you were right. <laughs> so God and I have this joke because I kind of sweat it. I sweat it. If you see my notes, you know, you'll see things like this, you know. There's a whole treatment and I thought, well, maybe we need to go a different direction. I can't even read it. I don't even know what that's about. <laughs> so every once in a while, just for fun, on the way out of church, somebody will say, Pastor Dave, today when you said blah, 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 God spoke directly to my heart and it's changed my life. And I know I didn't say it. It's God's little joke. It's like he just tapped me on the shoulder and go, you know, I don't actually need you. <laughs> I can actually have them hear whatever they need to hear, whether you said it or not. You do know that, right? So all that anxiety, maybe you want to just take a deep breath. Because maybe you're not making all that big of a difference, but maybe I am. And I think sometimes we think, I'm not really making much of a difference. Be faithful anyway. Be faithful anyway, because the remnant matters. And this is what Zephaniah says. You walk in faithfulness and humility because you don't see everything there is to see. Very limited perspectives, amen? 
very limited perspective so we walk as a faithful remnant in humility. We don't try to prescribe for everybody. We don't try to see it from everyone's perspective. We don't pontificate. We believe that God sees. We believe that God is working to eliminate evil and violence in the world. And we humbly do our part day after day, week after week. And maybe whatever I do is not going to change the face of the planet. But it could change the face of my community, of my home, of my family, of my friendships. It could change something and it matters. It matters what I do. It matters what I say. It matters how I behave. It matters what attitude I adopt. Because I am a part of the kingdom of light. And I should be recognizable as a part of the kingdom of light. Sometimes people need to self-identify. I am a part of the kingdom of light. Well, you don't seem like it. You should have a shirt so we'd know. Because we can't tell. Amen? We can't tell. And it shouldn't be that hard to tell as we walk in humility. Number four, his work purifies not destroys. God is in the business of purifying and preparing people so that their lips can give him praise and we can stand shoulder to shoulder. I want to be a part of that. And when I think about humanity, it needs some purifying. Amen? That was a trick. When I think about me, I need some purifying. And I hope when the fire of God sort of settles on me that he doesn't burn me up. Amen? You know, God, uh, maybe just a singe, a little off the top, but would you purify some things? Would you allow the fire to not destroy me, but to purify me? Sometimes, you know, we want God to not destroy, purify us, make us better and better. Amen? Am I the only one that prays this? Make me better and better. But we'd really like for him to destroy some others. <laughs> I mean, not probably by name. Okay, sometimes by name. But somewhere in there, Zephaniah says, listen, God's going to send fire, but that fire is not to destroy, it's to purify. So that one day we stand shoulder to shoulder with lips that give praise. I want to be a part of that. 34 plus years ago, we were living in a big community of Olathe, Kansas. Does that sound incredibly white? Because it is. And so we lived in Olathe, Kansas, and uh, we got a call to Southern California to come and pastor this church. And I was finishing up, it was in the last days of grad school, the last days of seminary. We had a five-year-old daughter, Amber. Uh, we knew that as soon as we got to wherever we were going to serve, that she would be enrolling in kindergarten. She'd be starting school for the first time. And you know, when you got your first kid is about to go, uh, you know, you just that, you know, you just want to keep them super close all the time. And uh, we had a brand new baby. Erica was just like three weeks old when I graduated from seminary and, uh, and one of my professors that I'd been a reader for during my time in seminary, good friends, close, and, you know, he pulled me aside just as school was concluding, and I had accepted a call here, and so I knew that in a matter of weeks we were going to be leaving Kansas, we were going, uh, you know, packed our stuff, was all packed up, it was on its way to Southern California, to 3913 Orangedale Avenue, Montrose, California, wherever that was. 
And he pulled me aside at one of the last days of class, and he said, I, I, got, I heard you're going to Southern California, to Los Angeles area, to pastor a church. I said, yes, I am. And he said, don't go. <laughs> and I said, what? And he said, don't go. I lived there for a while. I tried to raise my family there. It was awful. It was awful. You don't need, don't go. Don't go. And I remember we were like, oh, it's a little late. I mean, the stuff's on the moving van. I mean, we're kind of going. And we did. And we came and we went through the crisis of what are we going to do? Where are we going to go to school? And we interviewed with some private schools that, that were such a joke because we couldn't afford them. Yes, how much? Oh, yes. Hmm. Yeah, we don't have that kind of money. Maybe we could sell the younger child and sell the older child. You know, greater good. We made our way to that crazy, crazy neighborhood school down the street, John C. Fremont. Yeah. Met with the principal and several teachers, and we said, well, we, we think this is probably what we're, what we're going to do. And we took our five-year-old to class on the first day. There were 21 language groups represented in her kindergarten class. I am so glad my kids grew up in a space where they understand that the world is not Olathe, Kansas. Where, in fact, they understand that there is a mass of humanity that God loves, that has tremendous compassion for, that he treats like his children. And I want to be a part of the folks who are embracing that every day of my life. With every word I speak, with every thought I think, I want to be that person that is throwing my arms open to the diversity of our world and is loving people in the name of Jesus Christ because he's purifying so that every lip can sing praise as we stand shoulder to shoulder. Have you read the, have you read the book of Revelation? That someday the tribes will gather, every voice, every people on earth, every language group, and they will collectively give praise. I want to start with his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven right now. His work purifies. Finally, he's creating a world where everyone can flourish in safety and in peace. He's creating a world where everyone can flourish in safety and in peace. And we probably need to speak this over and over and over and over. And aren't you thankful for old Zephaniah, who, who didn't write very many words, but the words he spoke had this powerful perspective on the world, the powerful perspective of what God was doing, not just in the southern kingdom of Judah, but in the whole world to to the nations and how God was calling us together to live in these promises that though kingdoms rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and fall, one kingdom weaves together all of the brokenness of humanity and kingdoms unto a kingdom in which his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And you and I get to participate in that kingdom every day, every day. In a moment, we're going to share communion together. I can't think of a better symbol of the gathering of the people of God around this table of Christ. Just for a moment, as we have the band come back and you think about this, today, the Sabbath, today, around the world, literally millions of people have come to this table. Every language group, every tribe around this planet, some, somewhere made their way to a table like this at which we will share this common meal together.
You don't need to be a member of this church to participate, just that you've confessed your sins and received forgiveness. And if you've never done that, we feel every single time we participate in the Lord's Supper that we will pray a prayer of confession together and prepare our hearts for the table. And you're invited to join us in that prayer of confession today. If you didn't get elements, just lift a hand and we'll make sure that you have them. And I just want you to think about this today, that wherever you come from, whatever it is that stresses you out, that in all the rising and the falling and all the stuff that's going on in our culture and our world, there's one kingdom that continues to rise, and we symbolize today our participation in that kingdom. And so I just want to invite you to pray with me. God, we give you thanks that you love us in such a way that You reach into the depths of who we are. And what you want to do in this macro way with the whole world, you want to do in a micro way in our own hearts. You see how we bring disorder out of order in our own journey and in our own heart and mind and spirit. How you've invited us to trust you, to fix our eyes on things that are unseen, to rest in the fact that you're in control and we're not. You've invited us, in fact, you've told us that you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on you. If we just trust you, if we just say, you know what, God's in control. In all the rising and all the falling and all the chaos, God's in control. And yet, we have such a hard time just trusting, just resting, just taking a deep breath and not feeling the anxiety and fear. But you love us. You're patient with us. You could send the fire and burn us, but instead you send fire to purify us and you call out things in us that we could surrender and let go of and not fight anymore and not battle anymore. And so, what we pray over our own life, we pray over humanity. The God who purifies, who sees the pain who comes against evil and violence in the world, who invites us to faithful, humble walking. God who wants the whole world to come to this moment of purification where our lips give you praise and we stand shoulder to shoulder, united in honoring the God of the universe. And so, Lord, do your work in us. As we prepare our hearts for this table, we confess to you our sins. We're thankful that when we confess, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. And I pray now, as we participate with these elements, that you would apportion grace to every life as there is need. Whether they're in this room, whether they're joining us online, even if it's later in the week. We pray your grace through these elements and we dedicate them to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you. 
and be thankful. Now, God, I ask that you would go with us into the week ahead, into the challenges we face with a promise in our hearts and minds and spirits that in all of the rising and falling, you are weaving together the kingdom of God. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everybody said, will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.